There are certain skills, critical skills, that you need, that we all need, not only to get ahead in our lives, but also to ensure a successful path forward for our children and for the survival of our constitutional republic. You're listening to All About Skills, where we discuss the eight critical skills you need to succeed and how CEOs, placement directors, executive recruiters, and career-minded individuals utilize them to propel themselves to a higher level of understanding and achievement. Get ready to learn, master, and excel with your host, Charlie Jett. Thank you, Anne, and welcome to It's All About Skills. This is a series of programs where we discuss the critical skills and their application in the real world. My name is Charlie Jett, and we're coming to you from our studio in beautiful downtown Chicago. I'm an internationally certified coach specializing in career management, skill development, positive intelligence, and career crises. Now, we have a wonderful guest today. Christy Hefner is no stranger to leadership. She's a Chicagoan, and in college, she graduated summa cum laude from Brandeis University and was elected to Phi Beta Kappa. After freelancing for the Boston Phoenix for a year, she joined Playboy Enterprises in Chicago, where she became president in 1982 and chairman of the board and chief executive officer in 1988. Christie is the longest serving female chief executive officer of a publicly traded company, serving in that capacity for 20 years. She now serves on several corporate and nonprofit boards of directors and is always busy in charitable affairs, as well as simply making a difference in the world. Christy has always been a living example of someone with all the critical skills, and these days is particularly interested in continuous education. So welcome, Christy, to It's All About Skills. Thank you very much, Charlie. It's great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. Uh, can we start off by having you tell us a little bit about when you left Brandeis University and uh, freelanced for the Boston Phoenix? Absolutely. So my interests when I was in college were journalism on the one hand and law and politics on the other. And to pursue law and by extension politics would have logically had me apply to law school. And in fact, I had found a program at Yale that was a combination law and public policy masters, which is the one I really was interested in. But I also thought it would be nice to take a year off before going on to school. And that presented the opportunity of working as a journalist. And I had been living in Boston and had done some writing for my college paper. And so I sent some samples of that to the Phoenix and they said they would be happy to have me do some freelancing. So you did. So I did. And that lasted a year and then you joined Playboy. Correct. Um, I actually had been then intending to apply to Yale, but on a visit to Los Angeles with my dad, he suggested that maybe before I go off to graduate school, would I find it interesting to move back to Chicago and learn a little bit more about Playboy. And I actually thought at the time that he was intending to focus on the magazine and journalism, because obviously I'd been doing that. And I was pretty sure that I didn't want to stay in journalism. So I said, well, no, I really, I really thought I wanted to go on this other path. And he said, no, no, he wasn't talking about working for the magazine. He thought it would be interesting for me to learn about the company. 
And I think I really didn't know what that would be like. I went to a liberal, liberal arts school at a time when my friends and classmates were not thinking about a career in corporate life. So I didn't have much of an expectation about what business would be, but I thought it would be an adventure and kind of a junior year abroad, if you will. So I took him up on it, seriously thinking I would be there for a year or at most two and then go off on a different path. So when you when you joined, what, what were your first jobs? So they gave me the title of special assistant to the chairman, and that allowed me to do two things. One, to take on assignments, and two, to kind of wander and learn about the company by sitting in on meetings, by going on ad calls, by going to trade shows. And I also had the benefit of a recently hired executive who had a strong kind of HR background who took me under his wing and said, I think you'll get more out of this if you have a little bit of a grounding in some of the basics. So I went off and I took a course on finance and a course on management policy and a course on marketing and a course on organizational development. So it was a year of learning. Uh, and then I wound up being given the assignment of being the liaison for a new idea that was brought to the company, which was a retail venture. And I worked on that for a few years. I headed up an effort to create a marketing plan for the 25th anniversary. I worked on new publications that the company was investing in and then launched some publications called Playboy Guides. And I, I kind of moved around in different parts of the company. You, that, that sounds like you went to Playboy University for a few years. Yes, I, I said at one point, I didn't get an MBA, but I did have an MBWA, which is management by walking around. <laughs> now, how long did that last when you joined Playboy till you became uh, the uh, chief executive officer or, or president of the company? Well, I, I went on the board of directors um, in 1979, and that gave me the benefit of a different kind of perspective, both on boards and on, you know, kind of enterprise-wide thinking. Uh, but I actually became president three years later in 1982, when the company was in crisis and had determined that it needed to make a change and that the president who'd been hired from Knight Ritter was probably not the right person to lead it through this turnaround. And the assumption was that the company would do another search and find another outside executive. When I went to the board and proposed that we form an office of the president between me and the chief financial officer, and that would allow us to not lose the time of the search and the new person developing enough trust from the company to be able to make changes and we could sort of start moving tomorrow. And they, they approved that. And so you took a deep breath and faced some challenges. What, what went on in your mind in terms of the challenges that faced Christy Hefner then? Well, the company had reported a $50 million loss, which was the first time the company had lost money since its very early founding. And as a publicly traded company, you can imagine that the stock price plummeted. Some of the banks pulled their lines of credit. Morale was obviously terrible. So it was on all levels, uh, a company in crisis. And I look back and I 
clearly identify the fact that I had no idea everything I didn't know. And it was a classic WTF moment. Why did I think that I was skilled enough to take this position? But I, I did know the importance of listening to smart people and had formed this partnership with the CFO. And I would subsequently benefit from, on the one hand, the fact that people in the company trusted I cared about the long-term because it was a family company. And at the same time that I was new enough that I wouldn't hesitate to ask the tough what-if questions. So what were the, uh, how would you sum up the most important skills that were uh, helpful to you uh, that you used to face that challenge? I think this idea of asking questions was critical and remains really critical. And to some extent, I sort of think of that as the outgrowth of my interest in journalism and, and actually in law as well, in that the kind of don't take one perspective as the only perspective, get all sides of the story, get all views of a situation, whether it's a problem or an opportunity. And by extension, if that's your mindset, then you're going to be intellectually curious and you're going to be looking for data points and expertise and experience from a variety of sources. And I think that was hugely important for me. Yeah, and then you became uh, chairman and chief executive officer and had a new uh, new role and new responsibilities and new challenges. Tell me what you felt like uh, when that happened. Well, we'd been successful in turning the company around financially. We had, um, as a MBA would say, rationalized the lines of business. As a non-MBA, I would say we dumped the losers <laughs> and we had sort of reduced the overhead of the company. We built a strong balance sheet, but then the focus became, well, now what? You know, How do we grow and where do we go from here? And that was really the singular task I felt I was taking on as CEO. Um, it happened to coincide at a time when the media businesses were changing, when cable TV and the VCR was really gaining distribution. And in thinking about what the opportunities were for the company, a process that again, I used some outside resources in the form of a consulting firm. I put together some sessions with just smart people in some of the different media industries. And then we had a lot of internal brainstorming. We came to the conclusion that we wanted to chart a different path than traditional magazine companies had chartered for growth, which had been to just start or buy other magazines. And we determined that in effect, we wanted to transform ourselves from a railroad company to a transportation company. And we would say that we were a creator of a style of content across media platforms and a brand that defined a style of content. And so that gave us sort of permission to move into cable television, launching the Playboy channel. And then subsequently, when uh, the internet was gaining traction to actually launch playboy.com and Playboy mobile. And that transformation is really what I was responsible for during my years as CEO. 
Wow, and you were very successful, and and uh, some, that that was the result of your education at uh, Playboy University, and uh, you actually put it into work. So let's fast forward. So you uh, you're now at the end of your tenure there. This is more of a what is Christy Hefner doing uh, than it is a history of what you did at the business, in, in which you gave us a really good summary. You mentioned when we talked earlier that you were really interested and have demonstrated interest in being a continuous learner. When we talk about that, what do you mean anyway? And where did that, I just that, think, where did that passion come from? Um, well, I think it probably came from my mother. Um, she was a teacher before she had children and actually went back and was a, a kindergarten teacher. Uh, after we were grown, but she also was an avid reader and very politically engaged, very interested in the world and ideas. And so I grew up very influenced by all the books we had at home, all the magazines she subscribed to, conversations. She would take me door to door canvassing for political candidates when I was very young. Um, I think that that along with the good fortune of going to very good schools, I'm a graduate of Nutria High School, I went to Brandeis, I got to interact with phenomenal teachers. I think that just fostered in me um, a deep desire to know and to learn. Um, I think once you have that, it's kind of like once you appreciate good food and wine, you're not going to stop at some point in your life, right? It's right. a lifelong gift. But I also think it's true that the, let's say, tendency in the past to think of education as something you do in your life before you work and before you, you know, retire, I just think that's an outmoded idea of life and that the rate of change and the need for innovation and the disruption in every kind of aspect of life makes it almost essential that we all be lifelong learners. And you certainly are a good example of that. Now, what are you working on now? And what is your, what is your, what is your real passion now? Well, my passion is for what I do. And that's a luxury that um, I feel very grateful to have um, arrived at in my life in that my criteria for what companies I choose to work with either as a director or as a strategic advisor um, starts with would I like to have a long dinner with these people because I think if they're not people I really want to spend time with then very little else will make up for that. Um, secondly, do I find the business interesting and that usually means that it is a change agent in some way it is disruptive. Um, then do I think I can help them? And my last criteria is, will I learn something new? So I get to kind of scratch that itch with everything I do in my business portfolio. And then as you alluded to, Charlie, also in my work in the nonprofit pro bono space. It seems like you come up with something that is of interest to you and uh, it's probably more attractive to you if it provides you something new to learn. Absolutely true. And that's a little scary, to be honest, because it's more comfortable to 
kind of play in a lane and say, look, this is what I'm a subject expert of. And I can like, you know, press replay and I've, you know, seen this movie and I can help you through this. Um, but I, first of all, obviously am drawn to new challenges, but also I think that I'm better in each engagement I have as a result of the diversity of industries and size of companies and ownership structures and geographies and where they are in the life cycle of the enterprises that I work with, because I think it just expands my thinking. And one of the biggest challenges to us as individuals and to organizations is not to fall into the, well, we've always done it this way, but to sort of widen the aperture and be open to looking at other ways of doing things and other potential risks in terms of where the competition is going to come from. It sounds like uh, your criteria for picking and choosing something you're going to get involved in is, first of all, it has to make meet the criteria that you really, really like it. You really love what they're doing. Right. And the more attractive, you have a choice between you're being really good at what they want or there's a lot of things to learn, you'd be attracted to the latter. Yes, but I have said I was I was asked, for example, to go on the board of a family owned um, multi billion dollar agricultural conglomerate by the daughter of the founder who had been on a panel I'd moderated on governance in family business. And she was succeeding her father and two of their directors were retiring and so she approached me about coming on the board. And in that case, I actually said I just didn't feel I could bring enough knowledge to a company who's the largest John Deere dealer in the United States and works with deer around the world, the largest potato farmer in the US. And I just questioned whether I really could help them, but she had a very good answer. And she said, I have subject experts on the board already. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a strategist, I'm looking for someone who understands marketing and someone who has some sensitivity to family business dynamics. And so she made me comfortable that my lack of subject expertise would not keep me from contributing. But then in turn, I have enjoyed learning about these topics that I didn't know really much of anything about before. Well, you didn't know anything about potatoes, and now you know a lot about potatoes. <laughs> exactly. Other than that, I do think that any sandwich is enhanced by either a good French fry or a good potato chip. <laughs> you know, uh, about a year ago, we had a, uh, you were a guest of ours at a salon where we talked about diversity in the time of uh, uh, diversity and as being a, not a necessarily a nice thing to do, but almost an imperative for innovative thinking mm. organization during times of change. I really was, uh, I really resonated with that. And can you explain that a little bit that you and Dennis talked about? Sure, I mean, there's just been so much research now about both management teams and boards that demonstrates that if there is diversity, then you're gonna get a better result when that group of people is working through an issue. And it frankly makes sense because you want people to be able to bounce off of each, each other, to build on each other's ideas, to challenge each other, to create a larger 
arena of opportunity and then to winnow it down to, you know, the right course. And, you know, if everybody has the same background and everybody kind of comes from the same limited life experiences, then you're not going to get that. And so diversity of thought to me is inextricably linked to innovative thinking and innovative thinking is essential to success in today's you know, global marketplace. You know, and uh, in terms of innovative thinking, a lot of that has taken place over the last year with the, uh, with the COVID crisis. And the fact that uh, this came on and it has transformed a lot of different kinds of businesses. And, and the, way we, the way we live our lives, but the way we do business. What is your view on how uh, the COVID uh, experience has affected people, not, not only personally, but in business as well? Well, I think the personal side of it has been almost um, you know, unrelenting tragedy from the small losses of just human contact to the deep losses of life. So there's not much I think that we can say that is good on the personal level of the pandemic other than that we're coming out of it. But on the business side, I think there has been some good that has come out of it because it has served as almost a time machine to the future. So trends that were evident before, whether that's telehealth or uh, e-commerce, were accelerated by the way companies had to pivot as a result of stores being closed or people being unwilling or unable to go to a doctor's appointment or people not being able to go to school. And I think that has created a kind of faster learning about how to do those things well and how to integrate the high tech, high touch that in my view is the optimal for most things, whether it's education or health or, you know, um, uh, commerce. And so I've, I've seen companies move more agilely than they would have thought they could because they had to. And I think we're going to come out of this and we're not going to go back to life as it was before. And that's a good thing because there are aspects of life as it was before, including quite a bit of the business travel that we all did, not all of it, but quite a bit of it, that we're going to look back and say, why did we ever think that that was the only way or even the best way to do that? And I see that across the 10 or so companies that I work with, which are in a diverse range of industries. And I think that's a, that's a great strength. Yeah, that's great. Now. Well, let's let's uh, and I'm sure I'm sure you've done this before, but let's do it. Uh, suppose you're about ready to address a uh, a college or a high school graduation exercise, and, mm. and you don't have to give me the whole speech, but suppose uh, there are uh, three or four golden nuggets of advice you would give them, not only about the critical skills, but about your passion for continuous education. What would you tell them? What would you teach them in a nutshell? Well, I do think one of the most valuable lessons to impart to people as they are starting their careers is this idea of your 
interest in learning and even your education is not going to end when you get your last degree or sit in the last classroom you will ever sit in. That it is about being open to new ideas, putting yourself in situations that require you to develop new knowledge and be open to the perspective that comes from that and an appreciation that, you know, what we sometimes call instinct is really subconscious data processing. And the more you are open to absorbing a lot of data and information, a lot of experiences and perspectives, then the better your instincts will be. What, um, what are your own personal reflections about the importance of, of the critical skills in a person's well, you know, we always talk about, you know, nature versus nurture. And I think the science would tell us that we are each a result of a combination of both. But I think that we have so much ability to control who we are as adults and who we want to be. And that even what we know about genetic predispositions now makes it clear that your lifestyle choices, you know, whether you exercise, whether you eat healthy, whether you get enough sleep, turn on and turn off certain genetic predispositions to disease. So we're kind of the sculptures of our own lives. And to me, the tools with which we sculpt our lives are those critical skills. Amazing. So, Krista, you've done so many things in your life. You've you've, uh, you've had opportunities, but then you've taken advantage of them and delivered. And you've done that not only in your tenure as a, a chief executive officer, but post chief executive officer. So, you're not done. So, what's the next thing for Christy Hefner? What's next? Come on. What's the next chapter? Well, I'm enjoying this chapter very much. So I, I can't say that I've been thinking about a next chapter because um, I have new companies that I've started working with. Um, I have a lifelong commitment to journalism and I am worried about local journalism and hope to perhaps have more engagement in that space. At the same time, I'm really eager to go back to travel not business travel as much, although I like business travel, but, but the experience of new places, which is part of what a lifelong learning is about, is experiencing other cultures and other lands. And obviously, like most of us, I didn't do that over the last year. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to starting that again. You want to pack your bags and uh, get on the Trans-Siberian Express, and <laughs> things like that. Metaphorically speaking. Yes. <laughs> well, Christy, it's been a delight to have you uh, be with us. I want to I want to thank you so much for taking your time and and for sharing your thoughts and giving us a little bit of your background and experiences. And appreciate you so much for being our guest today. Well, thank you, Charlie. And let me just say that you are a great example of what it takes to allow people to be lifelong learners because you have committed so much of your life through your salons, now through the podcast, to creating platforms for sharing your own experiences and ideas through your books, as well as to amplify the voices of others. So thank you for all you do. 
Oh, well, you're welcome. And we hope to see more of you uh, since you're also a neighbor. Absolutely. Okay, Christy. Now, uh, as for me, as I'm, I'm an internationally certified career coach and I specialize in career management, skill development, career crises, and positive intelligence. And you can get in touch with me through my website, charliejetcoaching.com. So thank you all for listening today and we'll see you next time as we discuss the critical skills on It's All About Skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of All About Skills. To learn more information about the critical skills, be sure to visit itsallaboutskills.com for access to resources like blogs, field studies, published books, and more about how to learn, how to use, and how to teach this important content. That's exclusively available on itsallaboutskills.com. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode so we can continue to help you learn, master, and excel by using critical skills right here on All About Skills.